0: You know, once one of your kids gets schizophrenia, the sliding scale really changes. And it's like you get over all these stupid expectations. And the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is that they know how much you love them. It's all that matters. That's good parenting right there.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is MILF Podcast, the show where we talk about motherhood, entrepreneurship, sexuality, and everything in between. I'm Jennifer Tracy, your host. And today I'm so excited about this episode. I mean, I feel like I do say that every time because I am excited about every episode. But well, first of all, welcome to 2020. I know I already welcomed you last week, but it's pretty epic. This is This is a big year for a lot of reasons. How are you guys feeling so far? How's it going? This is kind of the first real week because last week we were all still in that haze of, you know, post-holiday bloat, (laughs) right? Um, I'm laughing because it's so true. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I just, I always say like, I just kind of count on gaining, I don't know, six Mm -hmm. or seven. I don't weigh myself, so I really actually don't know but I don't know six or seven pounds between October and January 1st because it's just all so good the weather gets a little colder even here in LA it's been actually quite cold in LA for LA so I crave that heavier carbier savorier and sweeter stuff and it's just I'm not gonna not eat it sorry not sorry Oh, hi. Hi, my dog's talking to me. My slash is talking to me while I'm doing this intro for you guys. So, a couple companies I wanted to highlight today. One is called Mighty Girls, my T, T E E, girls.com. And this woman is just amazing. And she's a lawyer by day and a mom by day and (laughs) night. And she. Founded this company called Mighty Girls, and it's clothing that has inspirational mottos on it for little girls. And her whole mission is to empower women of all ages, um, but particularly young women, to young girls, to really believe in themselves and believe that they can do whatever they want. So, despite you know, gender assigned capabilities and stereotypes. So anyway, it's a beautiful, beautiful company. Please check it out. MightyGirls.com. She's been so generous to offer us a discount code with the code MILF 20. They make great gifts. If you don't have a daughter and you have friends with daughters, it's really special and unique. So go ahead and visit them mightygirls.com use the code MILF20 at checkout to get 20% off. And I just, you know, again, I just to be clear, like these are not sponsors that are paying me for these ads. I'm just highlighting really rad companies that are doing amazing things and helping people. So the other company that I'm highlighting today is called Fluid. It's spelled fluid with an E on the end. And their website is fluid.us. I'm obsessed with this company. It's makeup. It's all vegan, cruelty-free, sustainable, and it's really good quality. And I said this on the episode last week, this red lipstick, I have two different shades of red. It's the only lipstick I've ever used that not only stays on, but doesn't bleed because red lipstick I find bleeds. I also have trouble with eyeliner. If it's not you know, wet eyeliner. I can't use pencil eyeliner. It just smudges all over the place. And I look like I did when I was in my early twenties and I was drinking like crazy. So, (laughs) but, uh, it's fantastic and it's just, it's a beautiful product and their, their mission, their manifesto is to provide, which they do so beautifully, gender inclusive makeup for All gender identities, any skin color, skin tone, gender, non-conforming, that's what this is for. And I'm just, it's such a beautiful idea. It's so needed and it's perfectly executed. Please check out their website, Fluid.us. And also they have also generously offered my listeners 20% discount. So MILF20 at checkout please, if you do nothing else, try the lipstick. It looks like lip gloss. Cause it's, you paint it on. I'm telling you, you'll order six more. I, I was blown away when she sent me this stuff. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll try it. Uh, every single thing I tried. I have glitter. I have three lipsticks. I have like some highlighter that comes in a little pot. It's all fantastic. It smells good. Please check them out. Fluid.us. Beautiful, beautiful company. Incredible quality makeup and with a a wonderful mission. So, okay, now (laughs) I'm going to introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Mimi. Her name is Miriam Feldman. She came to me through the World Wide Web. She found out about my podcast and she reached out to me and said, Hey, I would really like to be on your podcast. And we talked on the phone, and within 30 seconds, I knew I had to meet this woman. She just wrote a book. It's coming out. It's called He Came In With It, A Portrait of Motherhood and Madness. And it's about her son and his diagnosis with schizophrenia and how that affected her family. And this woman blew me away when I got to know her on the phone and then when I met her in person. Now, the interview speaks for itself, but I will warn you that when I went to visit her, she so she lives between Washington State and she comes down to LA where she lived for years and years and years. She grew up here. When she's here, she's in a guest house. And when we had set this time for the interview, the gardeners for the main house were there and there was nothing we could do about it. So we kind of paused sometimes, but sometimes you're going to hear the buzzing. And I'm I'm certain that Christian, my amazingly talented editor, did the best he could. But at the same time, I don't record in a sound studio. I'm a one-woman show with a little recording kit who travels. <laughs> and so just, I wanted to forewarn you about that. However she's just remarkable and the way that she talks about her story and she's funny and witty and, and bright. And I'm just so, so honored that I got the chance to interview Mimi and please, please, please pre-order her book. There'll be a link to that in the bio and enjoy my conversation with Mimi Feldman. Hi, Mimi. Hi there. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to meet you. Thank you so much for being on the show. So I just want to back up because before we hit record, you were telling me this funny story about how you had to self-tape a 90-second pitch.
0: Yes. (laughs) Chilling. (laughs) For your book. Yes. My um, publisher told me after I had been in L.A. for two weeks and had all kinds of people who could have helped me do this, that I had to have this thing for her within a certain period of time. So I had to sit down and do it myself. And at first I was going to have my husband do it, but that ran out of patience very quickly. (laughs) And so I spent one night sitting in front of my computer by myself, looking at myself in the computer and and trying to do this 90-second pitch. And it was... I almost went into psychosis. I mean, I, I was—I didn't, you know. When you get to my, be my age, you're okay with the fact that you're aging, but you don't spend a lot of time really looking at your face. Yeah, it's—I've talked to a lot of friends of mine, and it's kind of the thing. You just sort of avert your eyes, and it's all fine. And so, all of a sudden, I'm sitting there looking, and it's not particularly flattering light. And I'm sitting there, and I'm saying my little pitch about the book, and in my mind. I'm saying, I have jowls. I have fucking jowls. How did that happen? (laughs) While I'm reading this other thing. And by the end of that night, I just gave up. And then the next day, I did an elaborate... Lighting thing on my window with scarves and you know of different colors to warm this part and dull that part. And it, I'll show you a picture. I have it on my phone. It actually came out very well. The lighting was good, and I finally got it. But it was it was not a fun experience.
1: Lighting is everything. Yeah, I mean, truly, truly, truly. But I I know. And in this age of like, you know, I'm on Instagram as part of my business and and engaging with my listeners. And so I'm doing these selfie videos often and it's, there's nothing like that to go, or it's like that, that thing that happens when you turn your camera on and it's on you and you go. Yes, (laughs) yes. Especially because it's usually in your hand. So it's looking up.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's just (laughs) awful. I mean, I I have, I really don't do that. So it was, it was interesting. Yeah. So. So, So you
1: have this book coming out, Mm -hmm. which is so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. It's incredible. And you wrote it because of your son, Nick. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about how that came to be and what the unfolding of that story? Start wherever
0: you want. Of the book itself? Well, of Nick. Let's start with Nick. Okay, of Nick. So I have uh, four kids, three girls and a boy. And- When Nick was, he has two younger sisters and an older sister. So when all this started, his older sister was already out of the house. She's a bit older than him. And so when he was 15 or 16, he started having anxiety issues and and just, you know, weird behavior. But the thing is, you don't know what's happening until much later. Because if you made the list of red flags for serious mental illness and you made the list of normal teenage behavior, they're it's very virtually close. the same list. <laughs> and so you go along you go, well, they're all crazy. They all act crazy. So he's just one of another, you know, another crazy boy. Yeah. But then it started getting worse and worse. And he, he was doing drugs and I, you know... But, I mean, again, all of them were. They all smoked pot, you know, and now they're doctors and lawyers and married and fathers and, you know. But for Nick, I think he was starting to self-medicate, 16, 17, 18. And I look back on it now, and now I, I know absolutely he was, and I know absolutely he was having auditory hallucinations. He was hearing voices. You know, now that I've done this intricate, intense, forensic excavation of his entire life, pretty much every night before I go to bed. You know, I can identify everything. But then you don't know. You just don't know what's happening at the time.
1: And you're in it. And, you know, I mean, my son suffers from – I see suffers. I I don't – he has – well, he does suffer because he has severe anxiety, separation anxiety. For me, he was just diagnosed with ADHD and (sighs) – you know, compared to what you're talking about, it's it's milder and yet it's just when your child is suffering and you can't
0: fix it in the
1: moment and the experts are like, well, it could be this and it could be that and we don't know and let's try this. It's, it's excruciatingly painful.
0: You know, and let me just say something about the word suffer. I think it's fine to use that word. Mm. You know, I think that this comes back around to that whole issue of stigma. It's like it is suffering, yeah. mental illness is a disease, yes. and your kid is suffering. And, you know, I was at a symposium. This is what I came down for. There was a symposium day before yesterday at USC. Ellen Sachs, who's a friend of mine who wrote The Center Cannot Hold, she's the law professor at USC. This is a New York Times bestseller, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, and she has schizophrenia, and she's a law professor, and she's founded and runs the Sachs Institute for Law and Mental Health at USC. And she did a symposium with Esme Wang, who wrote a book that just came out called The Collected Schizophrenias, who's another woman who has schizophrenia. And it was very interesting to listen to. And one of the things that came up is there was and during the question and answer, there was a girl who raised her hand and said something about reapproaching schizophrenia and you know, maybe people with schizophrenia are special and it's wonderful and it's it's an extraordinary thing and believe me I visited that kind of magical thinking many times too but you know both Ellen and Esme and especially Ellen said in no uncertain terms she says you know that's fine and do whatever you need to do to make your life work my experience with schizophrenia is there is absolutely nothing wonderful about it and you know it's just a matter of mitigating it and living with it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's okay to say. You have to be able to say suffer. Yeah. I think trying to whitewash it, it doesn't serve.
1: Yeah. 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 Thank you for that. No, it's true. I think sometimes I and, – and what happened in that moment was I was like, well, don't, you know, don't put your son's ADHD on the same level as her son's Oh, God. Now I, I have I mean? to
0: say <laughs> something about that too. Okay? I'm sorry, but I have to say something about that because for the last – it's been 14 years now. My son's 34. I hear this all the time from friends and people I'm talking to. Oh, well, I mean, I hate to even talk about this. You know what? We all go through stuff. We all have stuff. You know, there are kids dying of cancer. There's, you know, it's all relative. And I really have to beat my friends over the head with it. Like, it's okay to complain that your car broke down. Everything isn't measured by Nick's schizophrenia. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, right and and cuz it's just important you have to have yeah. a life too yeah. and and I don't want everybody on eggshells all the time because a terrible thing happened in my life which really it was in my life but I mean it happened to Nick it didn't happen to me right it's his life that right. got you know ruined by it really right
1: so so let's go back so okay. he's 15 16 he's self-medicating and at what point did you and your husband sort of say there's something going on here what do we need to do
0: well it's all really spelled out in lots of detail in the book. But basically what happened was there was a suicide attempt. And it was, he, you know, he was out, he was high on mushrooms. And I mean, when I think now that those kind of drugs, because I didn't know that then, but those kind of drugs, those um, psychotropic drugs are just the worst thing somebody who is developing something like this can do. And, and he cut his wrist. And that was when we realized, okay, this is something. And so he started going to therapists. And then you go through this arc of of diagnoses of, you know, his anxiety, his depression. You know, we'll try this, we'll try that, different medication. And I think when he was about 19, you know, then he finally, he managed by the skin of his teeth to graduate high school. And then he was sort of messing around going to junior college a bit. And when he was around 19, they said bipolar, and then later that year, about a year later, they said it's schizophrenia.
1: And through all this, like, how are you coping with this, <sighs> and 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 raising your other children and working well, and?
0: Well, you know, I'm a real—I I, I like to say I'm like pathologically functional. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the house can be burning down, and I can still function. Yeah. So, but it, it didn't serve me. I'm less functional now than I was 10, 15 years ago because it's healthier to allow yourself, to, your behavior and your feelings to be relative to what was going on. But back in those days, you know, I had little girls at home. I had an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old when this all started. So basically what I did is I just danced as fast as I could. You know what I mean? I just, I ran a business. Have a, I'm a painter. I'm an artist, but I had a business for 30 years doing decorative art in houses and restaurants and things. And we traveled all over, and I had eight guys working for me. And so I had a whole business I was running. So I was running my business, going to construction sites, dealing with all of that stuff. I had three kids still in school, two little girls at home. And I just pretended like everything was fine as it was all unraveling. I just pretended like everything was fine and then I would drink a lot of red wine and I would cry in the bathroom with the shower on it at night mm. and then do it all again the next day. And now that my daughters are grown and we have a different kind of relationship because they're adults, and I've since learned from my daughters because they talk to me about it now, is it was completely the wrong thing to do, especially my youngest daughter, because They know what's going on. Of course. They know something is terribly wrong. And there I was, you know, acting like everything was fine and pretending and pretending and pretending. And she had such a sense of insecurity and not knowing which side was up. And I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was protecting them. And I was making, especially my youngest one, crazy. Yeah. You know, And for example... One night, I was doing my cry. I I really would cry in the bathroom with the shower running. And then I would come out. And I came out, and I thought they were in bed, and one of them was up and caught me. And there I was, busted. I was clearly crying. And she said, Mommy, you know, what's going on? What's wrong? Why are you crying? And I figured, uh, you know, no way to go with the truth. And I said, I'm crying because I miss your brother. And she said, What do you mean you miss Nick? Nick's not gone. Nick's here. And I said, yeah, but he's not who he was supposed to be. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, he is. It's just not what you thought. Oh, my gosh. Which is. From the mouths yeah, of days. Yeah, no kidding. And you know what? That has informed my. Oh, I've just my, got chills all yeah, my Yeah, that body. has informed my um, processing of this ever since. And it still does. And How old was she? She was 11, 12, something oh, like wow. that. And. You know, the name of the book is He Came In With It. Mm. And it had a different working title all along, and it was the night before we sent it out that I got my title. And it's a very, to me, very important part of the whole story is that, you know, you have these children and you have, you know, we all have our hopes and dreams and our ideas of how things are going to be. And with schizophrenia in particular and probably other things too but with schizophrenia schizophrenia is um it has kind of a cruel joke aspect to it because they're right there in front of you all in one piece looking the way they always looked but they're gone and There's a part where you just can't process that. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because it's not a disease like cancer or something where you know the science of what's happening. The doctors don't even know really what's going on. And it's like, it's your kid, but it's not your kid anymore. Yeah. And it's very hard to process. And it's very hard, I mean, even now, to let go of how you thought it was supposed to be. And this is my constant struggle or my constant discipline to accept how it is to accept this change in circumstance, because I, you know, my husband, he gets on me a lot too, because I just, I I still, there's a part of me where I can't, I just can't. Yeah. I just, you know, think somehow I'm going to be able to fix this. And that's the other thing too, as a mother, I think we feel a drive to fix it in a different way than anyone else on the planet. Yeah. We grew them, We brought him into this world. He came out of my body and it's my job to fix this. Mm. And there's a part of me that won't let go of that.
1: Do you think, you know, I mean, I know I feel this way with my son, with with a lot of things. You know, I had postpartum depression after he was born. I basically carry this guilt with me that he has the anxiety and that he has the separation anxiety because, you know, I had the depression because of something that I did wrong and it's it i've worked through a lot of it and i'm in therapy i've been in therapy for 7 years now but it does lay with me and that's why i am the one you know i mean i'm i'm a single parent my ex-husband is very involved with our child and and he's a good dad and but i'm the one that does all the doctor's appointments mm-hmm. i'm the one that sets up all the things i'm mm-hmm. the one that follows up i'm the one that takes him to the energy healer and the acupuncturist and the i mean i've tried literally everything. Hypnotherapy, you know, in addition to the Western medicine stuff. Mm -hmm. But I do carry this sort of guilt and and almost, like you said, like I, we grew them, we birthed them, we raised them. There's just this responsibility and it's like at some point, and I guess it's just ongoing, kind of like you say, like I have to just continue to let go and know that.
0: I think it's continued to Except.
1: Except. Because accept.
0: because the thing is, I don't think that we're wrong wrong quote yeah. in feeling this way. Yeah. We're their mothers. Yeah. This is how we're supposed to of feel. Course. This is why we're on this planet. I and mean, I know that's not the thing to say, but I mean that's what we were built for. Yes. You know, making babies and raising them. Yes. Yeah. And so, of course, we're going to feel that way. So I don't think it's something that we need to get over. I think it's something that we need to say, yeah, that's yeah. how I am. And that's how I'm good. And I mean, that's what I say to my husband because he's like, Mimi, he's an adult. He's grown, you know, let it go. It's not going to change. It is what it is. And it's like, I am not going to stop trying. I just started him with a new therapist that I yeah. like. was scouring the earth to find. And I'm not going to ever give up. Yeah. And, and I think that I think it's correct that we should feel this way. And believe me, I do the same thing. You know, I'm fixated on two things. When I was pregnant with him and I didn't know I was pregnant yet, I took melatonin to sleep. And there's absolutely nothing to indicate anything, but I'm Positive. When I'm laying in bed at night and you know it's that that's the middle of the night, yeah. I know that melatonin yeah. did this. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also another time he fell and bumped his head when I was sitting right next to him. And I'm also sure that was it. So, I mean, and it's like, I'm never going to let go of that. Yeah. You know, it's just you can't. So then, okay, accept it. But... Back to the title. So he came in with it was, you know, the original title for the book all the couple years I was writing it was The Bad Ten Years, which was about this decade in my family's life. Because, hold on to your hat, during this ten years that Nick developed schizophrenia, I had a brain tumor. I had major neck surgery. My husband had a heart attack. And not one, but two of my daughters had cancer. So, I mean, it was insane. Yeah. It, you, know, it was, you couldn't believe what was happening was happening. You know, when, my, when Lucy, my middle girl, got this thyroid cancer, I mean, I almost went off the deep end. It was just, really? <laughs> really, universe? This yeah. is happening? Yeah. But we got through it all. So originally the book was about this wild and crazy, excuse me, 10 years. Yeah. But as I wrote the book, it became what it was supposed to be. And the book really is about Nick and me. And all the other stuff is part of it, but it's about Nick and me, and it has kind of a through line back to my mother. Mm. And it's about making art, and it's about our family, because we're all art makers. And none of that was even in there when I first wrote the book. And so at one point, like we were just saying, how you were saying you go to all these people and you... I, I have a thing that happens to me, this frenzy I go into every few months where it's like, I've missed something. There's got to be an answer out there. I can't believe there's an answer out there. And I just start scouring the world for that hidden solution that I haven't found yet. And during one of these frenzies, I remembered that I have a friend who does these really precise and scientific astrological charts. You the ones that are very involved. Yes. And she had asked, she's a wonderful friend and she's very interested and sympathetic to Nick's situation, and she had asked me at one point if I wanted her to do his chart, and I'm not into astrology, and I just, I never followed through on it. And then during one of my frenzies, I was like, Shannon, the astrological (laughs) chart, maybe it's there. And so I called her up, and I asked her to do it, and she called me back within a day or two. And I, I remember this so clearly, you know, hello? And she said, Mimi, he came in with it. Wow. She said every single sign, every single signifier for mental illness for his life is right there from the second he was born. And then she proceeds to describe to me all these things that I didn't really understand even the terminology. So I'm madly taking notes. And as she are s- talking, I just kept doodling. He came in with it. He came in with it. And then at the end of the conversation, she just said sadly, she said, he came in with it. And so I took those notes and I put them away, but I didn't really think that much about it again because astrology is not my thing. And then later, a year maybe later, when we were searching desperately for the correct title for the book, I was talking to my agent and we were just, you know, spitballing. And I said, I have this one thing. And I pulled it out and I read it to her and she said, oh, my God, that's it. And it's so much it because it goes back to the thing of Yeah, he is, Mom. It's just not what you thought. Yes. Is Nick was delivered to us. And yes, I will spend the rest of my life picking apart the circumstance and trying to figure out what caused it and what I could have done to avoid it. And there is scientific information that lends itself to the idea that it could have been avoided. And that's the thing that is most difficult to live with. But the fact is, when I can be most at peace is when I just accept he came in with it. This is how he was delivered to us. And the Nick that I thought I was going to have and the life that I thought he was going to have wasn't real. This is who he is, and I have to meet him where he is. And it's very hard. Yeah. I mean, it makes me cry to talk about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Because, you know, we're moms. We have this dream, you know, of yeah. their lives. From the second you know they're in there. Yeah. Yeah. You realize, you know, if you've ever lost a baby, I don't know if you have. But I have not. Yeah. Okay. It, and you know what? I didn't have a miscarriage till I was in my 40s. I had a miscarriage. Mm. And all of a sudden, I wanted to go back. This is getting very serious. Okay. I wanted to go back to every woman I'd ever known who had had a miscarriage and just hold them in my arms. Because all of a sudden, I realized, oh, my God, it's a baby. You lost a baby from the second you know yes. you're pregnant. You have their whole life in your mind and your heart. Yeah, and losing that one, I really, you know, I thought about how I'd said to women, "Oh, you can get pregnant again," or and it's like, "Oh my God, how could I have said that?" Because, yeah, you can get pregnant again, but you still lost a baby. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it was that was an interesting thing yeah. to learn. Yeah, it's all it's the thing. It's all about acceptance because there I was like this crazy type A personality running a business and making art and a million friends and this big family and all this stuff. And I never stopped for a minute, you know, and during the whole nascent period with Nick, I never stopped to feel it. I never stopped to process it. And it wasn't until a few years in when I, I couldn't. I used to go to Pilates out in Santa Monica. That was my exercise that I did. And then I couldn't do it anymore because, you know, all this stuff with Nick's schizophrenia, it was just there's no way I was driving to Santa Monica three days a week to go to Pilates. And also the money because everything yeah, changed with that, of too. Course. And so <clears throat> over here on Larchmont, there's the Larchmont Center for Yoga that's been there for like 40 years. And I'd done some yoga when I was younger, and I just said, okay, fine. I'll just go in there and do yoga. At least I'll get some exercise. And that's what started this chain of events that changed everything inside of me. You know, I started going to this yoga for the exercise, and that was great. And then here were all these girls talking about these young women. And I thought, okay, I can't save Nick, but I can do this. I can stand here with my leg up and do this and there was, like, just this really simple power to that that started to sustain me. It's like I can do what I can do. And the yoga became really important to me, and I started listening to the pretty young girls who hadn't had any tragedy in their lives yet because they were delivering wisdom that comes from thousands of years ago. You know, they were they were the delivery system. It didn't matter that they hadn't had, you know, my circumstance, I I started listening and I started learning. And all of a sudden, this thing that, had, you know, I used to be in the yoga class and I would like, I had like this monologue going in my head of, you know, making fun of everybody and making jokes in my head and all that. And then that quieted and I started listening and I started changing, you know, and I and I was able to Start to just sit in what was happening and just allow it and not just stay so busy that I didn't feel it. And then I also, another friend dragged me to meditation. And I'm like, I haven't sat still for five (laughs) minutes in my life. I thought, there's no (laughs) way I'm going to sit and do nothing for 20 minutes twice a day. But I went, and I think because I was so devastated, I was so broken. Because this was a few years in, and this was when, okay, the girls were growing up. I think Lucy had gone to college by then. And there, it, it was sort of this phase where it was like, okay, this happened. You know, I'm not going to undo it or change it. This is my life now. And also coming to terms with the fact that I'm going to be his caregiver for the rest of my life. And
1: how old was he at this point? He
0: was about in his early 20s. And at that point, he lived in an apartment down the street from us mm-hmm. and I would go twice a day to his apartment and give him his meds and make sure he took his meds and you know wrangle his whole life and so you know I was I was just like this empty shell of a person and so there was a lot of room for new ideas in there and so I actually let her drag me to meditation and I was taught by this guy who's about my age in his 60s and he was one of the original teachers who were taught by the Maharishi who came here and taught the Beatles and everything. So it's classic TM, transcendental meditation. And he was the real deal. And I was I was open to it. And I've been a meditator ever since. I meditate every day. And turns out sitting and doing nothing for twenty minutes twice a day changes who you are. Yeah. And I'm the biggest skeptic in the world. My friends still can't believe, my husband can't believe that I meditate. You know, it's like I'm the last person you would think would be a meditator. I love that. But I needed to just stop and allow, just allow things to be what they were and, and accept it.
1: Mimi, I want to talk to you about bringing art in as therapy and how you integrated those things. And I'm, we're sitting in your friend's guest house looking at Nick's self-portrait that is going to be the book cover. Mm-hmm. So amazing. When did that come to be, or was
0: that always just part of it? Was Nick always an artist? Yeah, you know, we're a big arty family. And, you know, my husband's a painter. I'm a painter. And my husband paints very – um Abstract paintings. So, my husband and I, that's, we met because he had an art gallery. He gave me in my first show, so I married Aww. him. <laughs> um, We've been together almost forty years now. We lived downtown LA in the first wave of the artists that lived down there oh, when in law. When it was Longs, really cool. When it was the real deal. Yeah, it was, we were cowboys. It was great. And um, like when the brewery was pre-brewery. Pre-brewery. Yeah. The brewery was still a brewery. Yeah. We met at Al's Bar. Oh my god. You gosh. know Al's Bar? Yeah, of course. Yes, we I met. used to
1: hang out down there a lot.
0: We met at Al's Bar. Not at the bar, but down. And it's a funny thing because there's. A mural on the wall that's gone now but there was a mural on the wall of Pocahontas and John Smith. And it was a very funny thing because I met my husband in Al's Bar. I was a bartender. And He, there's a long story about how we met, but a friend of mine had seen him at an art opening and thought he was cute. And I was going to hook her up with him, and then we ended up together. And it's sort of that John Smith story with Pocahontas. And then one day we walked in, there's this mural that uh, Roger Herman did, who's a well-known artist that teaches at UCLA now. So that was our place. Al's Bar was the heart of our relationship. Mm. So that was always our life. Art making was the important thing in our life. And then we had these kids and they're kind of all artists, you know, it's not their careers, but Nick would have been. Nick was prodigious. You know, he was going to be a famous artist. There's really no question. And, and, you know, his history with schools and special programs and things that he got into, you know, I have four kids. I don't think everybody's a prodigious artist, Yeah. but Nick was. Wow. And so now he doesn't paint anymore. And you can see in this picture, now, he was about 16 when he did that. And that's a prescient image. You can see something's going on there. Oh, yeah. And now he colors in coloring books. He doesn't want to do original stuff. I try and talk to him about it. But, you know, one of the things with schizophrenia is it has what they call the flattening affect, which just doles down motivation, interest, you know, ability to connect with things and ideas and people. And so... He still draws because when you're a drawer or a painter, and I use that weird phrase because it's different than artist, because I think artist is up in your head. Mm. You know, because in my business, I do, when we do murals and things, we ended up also, I became a painting contractor. So I do straight painting too. Yeah. And I'm as happy painting a wall white as I am doing a painting. It's the paint. And that's why I don't understand or I can't relate to all the stuff that people do on the computers now. Because yeah. it's not that I think it's not art, but it's not art like I know it. Because right. to me, it's the paint. Yes. So when you're a painter, when you're a drawer, you see people who just are constantly, they're always yeah. drawing. And so he still draws, but he draws in like, you know, Ninja Turtle coloring books. And yeah. and, he and has he's 34 now. And he's 34, yeah. yeah. And it's, he's kind of, in a way, he's childlike. In a way, he's kind of stuck in a certain phase of his life, but I mean, he's not like a child, yeah. but he has definite childlike attributes. Yeah, and he lives near you and your husband now in yes, Washington. he lives and we moved him up there. He lives in a HUD subsidized housing. He's he gets disability, and so he we have because you know it's very hard to support a whole other. Sure life in addition to your own life and and it doesn't work for him to live with us it doesn't work for Mm -hmm. him it doesn't work for us and i mean i could go on about that, but I mean, that is what it is. And so he lives in his own apartment, and now in Washington, it's wonderful. I don't have to go every day to give him his meds. They have DHS, and he has a caregiver who comes and gives him his meds. Now, I see him several times a week, but I'm able to come here. I'm able to travel. Live your life. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, back to the thing of mother. Because, and I know, you know, I've had relatives and people say, well, why don't you let him live with you? And-
1: I love when people judge when they have no personal experience.
0: Well, you them. know, you might as well say, well, if you're cold, why don't you build a fire in the middle of your living room? You know, it's like you have to understand what's yeah. the dynamic here. And I don't, I don't have to defend myself yes. with that stuff. It's just, you know, I know the truth of it. And, and you have to make your peace with that of, like, I'm not helping him if I give up my life. Yes. And yeah. actually probably hurting him. Yeah. And plus, I have three daughters, and they deserve to have a mother. And, you know, they had a mitigated mother, especially my youngest one. Yeah. And I'll spend the rest of my life trying to make that up to her because it wasn't fair. You know, she was so marginalized. I was such a mess. I mean, I was drunk every night, and I was crazy every day, you know, for her adolescence, 13, 14, 15. And then when Nick—we finally got Nick out of the house, and Lucy had gone to college, and Scarlett was married— And we had bought the property up in Washington, and Craig was spending a lot of time up there building our house. Then it was just Rose and me in the house. Mm. And and all of a sudden, there was nothing but space around how I had let her down. Mm. And, you know, I made up my mind that I was going to make it up to her. And we had some wild years, Rose and me in that house, and me just doing anything and everything that I could do to just, like, you know, oh, you want, you, want uh, you know, super expensive, weird acupuncture? Sure, we'll go there. Oh, you want, you know, Korean, uh, you know, herbal drink that looks like mud and costs $700? We'll get that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> anything she wants. Oh, you want to be a vegan? Okay, we'll purge the house. And, you know, it went on and on. And I mean, it was, I was like this just. This was while she was in high school? Yeah. I mean, I was just, it was just like, she, I, I was, I was jumping through hoops to do anything to make it okay for her. And, you know, it was ridiculous. It, it and was how ridiculous. Old
1: is Rose now? Rose
0: is twenty-five now. And where does she live? She, oh, she's twenty-six. I'm sorry. She lives in Virginia. She's married. She lives out in the country in a small town in Virginia on five acres with her husband. And she's wonderful now. Mm-hmm. And I had since learned with Rose was a thing. You know, the high school years were it was a nightmare. I mean, her avocation during those years was to destroy me, <laughs> and and she almost <laughs> did too. So you know, you know, three-inch square little pastries from Erewhon that cost $47 every day (laughs) didn't help at all. And what ended up helping in the long run was just loving her. That was the thing is I made up my mind. I was just going to love her. And I created what I call the buckets of love method of parenting. So there I had this 15 year old girl going, I hate you. I hate you. And I would just go, I love you. I love you. I hate you. I fucking hate you. I love you. I love you. It was just, all I did was just everything I could do to just show her and tell her I loved her and I just like doused her with buckets of love until finally years later when she had already left home and gone off on some crazy traveling across the country by yourself doing God knows what, and then <laughs> living in New Orleans with all these gutter rat kids and being drunk all the time. And Wait, fun- did
1: you say gutter rat kids? Yes. That's
0: so great. Well, it's kind of, there's like this this thing in New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans is a very cool place, but it has this underbelly. Oh, there's a dark side. Yeah, and and part of that underbelly is it attracts these aimless young kids, kids in their late teens have run away from home or in their 20s are just losers. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of the lifestyle of alcohol yes. and sort of wallowing in the gutter of I, New there Orleans. There was a woman
1: on the show, Mae Lindstrom, who's now very successful. Beauty, she's a beauty company. She makes organic, like small batch made Beauty products, of uh, facial cleansing, facial care, of uh, skincare, mm-hmm. and anyway, she's just one of the loveliest people I've ever met, and I just love her. And sh- I interviewed her, and her story is crazy. Like it's so, it's such a good interview. Mm-hmm. You guys, my listeners, you should go back and listen to that if you haven't. I think yet. I will. Oh <laughs> my god, it's so fascinating. She lived in New Orleans, and she talks about this on the show. She lived in New Orleans in this crazy house, and then they moved out of that house. They were in their twenties. She and this girl, and they moved into a house of. Vampires, and I was like, "Wait, what?" She goes, "Yeah." She's like, "I mean, I don't know, like what?" But they called themselves vampires. They only came out at night. Like I was like, "What?" So but that's much New of Orleans. That. That's totally
0: New and Orleans. And my girls, Lucy lived there for a while too. She went to visit Rose and then didn't leave. They lived in the ninth ward. Yeah, I mean, there were like really guys. I mean, it was scary where yeah. they were. Yeah, Lucy got a gun held to her head. I mean, I I was just, you know, I was going crazy (sighs) during that time. But back to Rose, the thing that did it for Rose, because, you know, Rose is still dealing with her own issues and her own trauma from her childhood. And I feel tremendous amount of guilt, but I did the best I could. But the thing that healed her in terms of me was that just the buckets of love. And there was, she told me about this and it's just like the most, touching story. I hope she doesn't listen to this because she'll be mad at me, but it's kind of private. But I'm Jewish. My husband's Catholic. And one of our oldest daughter was raised by her, um, My our oldest daughter is my stepdaughter. She, she became ours when she was, you know, I met Craig when she was sick. So she's as much my daughter as anything. But she was also raised by her maternal grandmother. And so she's, she's Christian. And Rose has in the last few years, moved into that. And she said she was talking to the pastor, and he was talking about Jesus and Jesus's love and all of this. And he asked these people, you know, this group, of which Rose was one, when in your life have you felt that kind of love, the kind of love that I'm teaching about? Here, I'm going to cry again. And she, she told me that. She thought about it, and she thought about it, and she remembered a time when she was in New Orleans, and she was in the gutter. And she was walking around, and, you know, she'd been sort of kicked to the curb by a boyfriend and kind of was living in somebody else's place. And just her life was awful. And she was walking around the city, and she was drunk, and she was miserable. And I called, and I stayed on the phone with her, and we talked, and she walked through the city, and I wouldn't hang up. And I talked to her, and I talked to her until... I said, I'm not going to hang up until you're safe and you're home. And then when she was home, I asked her if she wanted to hear a lullaby. And, yeah, you know, that's kind of a very funny thing because I have the worst voice in the world. When they were little and I used to sing them lullabies, they would look up at me and they would go, don't sing. (laughs) But, you know, she was so bereft and hurting so much. And I said, you know... It was You Are My Sunshine. That was what I used to sing to them. And so I sang her the song, and I stayed on the phone until she fell asleep. And she said that was the time that she realized what that kind of love was. And that's what healed her. And we're so good now. I mean, she hated me. But we're so good now. And that's the thing about this whole mothering thing. And like, oh, you know, they're not a, you know, Vassar or they're not living this life. You know, once one of your kids gets schizophrenia, the sliding scale really changes. And it's like you get over all these stupid expectations. And the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is that they know how much you love them. It's all that matters. That's good parenting right there. Mm. You know, I mean, you can screw them up in a million ways, and you can do all <laughs> kinds of things. But the, but the, I think the line between successful parenting and not is they just have to know that you have like Jesus caliber love for them. Mm. Yeah. So that that was a good thing. So You're everybody's good mom. now. You're it, an amazing
1: mom, Mimi. I'm just. You am, are. Ugh, I you don't are. know. You are. We've come to the time where I'm going to ask you three questions that I ask every guest. Oh, I guess I should have. Uh, Studied up on that. No, 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 okay. no, no. no, no. <laughs> You're great. This right. is easy. All right. And then we're gonna do a fun lightning round. Okay. And we're gonna wrap up. Cool. I've loved having you on the show. I love talking to you. This You're is amazing. Fun. I can't wait for the book to come out. Yeah. And we'll too. keep everybody. And
0: all of this will be in the show notes. Um, when is the book coming out? The is book it? drops June 22nd. Okay. And we're having a book launch here in LA on the 25th at Chevaliers, which is the. Ooh bookstore on Larchmont, which is perfect because the whole book takes place here. And um, I really think, you know, we didn't talk that much about it, but I really think that this book is going to be an open door to a room that a lot of women can use. And it's not just for moms of kids with schizophrenia or a mental illness. And this is the thing because a lot of people have read it and friends have read it already. And anyone who's a mother, anyone anyway, but... Yeah. Every mother will relate to this because it's all the same. Yeah. It's all the same, it's just yeah. different circumstances. Yeah. And yeah. these issues of
1: coming to terms with Well, and I love what you talked about and we talked about this on the phone a little bit before we met is, you know, just let's let's take away this ridiculous stigma of all this stuff. And and I think I shared with you that, you know, I've I have a dear friend who took her own life a year ago, bipolar and she'd gone off her meds and I mean it's a whole long story, but Part of that story was that there was a stigma around her bipolar, mm-hmm. you know, within certain relationships. And I'm like deciding, do I want to wait for this, for the leaf? that These gardeners are like... Hardcore. I'm so sorry. No, don't worry. <laughs> it Listen, had it's LA. It's same. part of the beauty of living in LA, and we get we get trees
0: and. I'll grass tell you one round. thing though. It's a thing I don't miss up in Washington. It's so quiet. It's yeah. so nice.
1: Yeah, it's sensory overload. I mean, my son. Speaking of, you know, he has all these sensitivities. So he's ADHD, dyslexic. He has central auditory processing. He had some visual stuff, but that seems to be correcting itself. Tell me
0: about the central auditory processing. What is that? Oh, yeah. Involve? So. When he was originally
1: tested in second grade, we also had, and again, like I was in charge of all this. So I went to every single specialist that I was told to go to. So it was like, have him auditory tested. So we went to an audiologist and she tested him and she said, he absolutely has central auditory processing. So it's complex and I don't actually fully understand it, but in layman's terms, it's where if there's any kind of like that kind of background noise for him, he couldn't be, be engaged in a conversation with us. If there's if there's a room, like for example, his second grade classroom was crazy. He went to a progressive school. The first and second grade were mixed. If two kids were talking in the corner of the room and the teacher was trying to give a lesson, he couldn't hear what the teacher's saying.
0: You know, it's interesting. That's why I asked because the same thing exists That's a feature of uh, schizophrenia. They don't have the filters. Yes. So everything, when I was- It all comes in at once. The thing, one of the things that saved me or at least kind of armed me to deal with this is when this first happened, somehow I managed to stumble into NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And they have a 12-week educational seminar that you can go to that teaches you how to deal with mental illness as a a loved one. And one of the experiments that they did is- we went off in pairs and everybody sat around a table and their partner stood behind them. And the leader gave each person standing behind you had a piece of paper with stuff written on it. And each one was different. And it said things like, you are the devil, you know, or, or you know, you're a horrible person. You know, all these really awful things, which are kind of the things that people with schizophrenia hear in their heads, mm-hmm. which it's heartbreaking. And, and so we ha- I was sitting down and I had to sit there with a pencil and paper and the leader was drawing on a board and we had to copy what she was drawing, a simple geometric drawing, while somebody was whispering in our ear that we were the devil and we were going to hell and going to burn. Oh and there was this cacophony of noise because everybody was talking. Yes. And we had to try and concentrate and do that. And it was the most incredible experience. And then she said, OK, stop. And she said, that's what is going on inside your loved one with schizophrenia's head every day.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's the same thing. That's it. It's like imagine everything coming at you at the same velocity.
1: Yeah yeah so how does he how, how did you deal with that with him? It is treatable, and he did this series of exercises with headphones on a computer mm-hmm. for months and months and months. He hated it. He was seven at the time and it was just torture. But it did help. You can like basically retrain uh-huh. and and part of it is developmental right. You know, same thing with the ADHD and the way that the psychologist, the child psychologist explained it to me. He said, you know, it's like his working memory and his processing speed have not caught up with his intellect because he's actually reading at a ninth grade level. He's 10. But his processing and working memory is like second grade level.
0: You know what's the nice thing about all of this, Jennifer, is... He's going to be fine. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He's. It's going to come to the point where all these things that are arcing and it's all going to converge and he's going to be in his 20s and it will all have been just that was his child. Yes. You yes. Know?
1: Yes. And isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? It's so great. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I'm so grateful for – I'm so grateful we live in L.A. and I'm so grateful that my ex-husband and I have the means to send him to this mm-hmm. specialized school and even if he wasn't in the specialized school, it's just, it's not, it's like, oh yeah, I have ADHD. Like he's, it, he can name it. Like yeah. it's like, oh, the sky is blue. I have ADHD. I have dyslexia. Oh, you have dyslexia? Me too. I've got dyslexia. Like it's there's no. so much better, it's, isn't it? I'm so grateful for that. There's no like, oh, I don't this, you know, and, and we got him the proper help and his, cause he couldn't read in second grade. He was not reading at all. And then we got him this amazing tutor at his old school who basically taught him how to read. And then now he's at this new school and he's killing it. And it's still hard. He's tired. And we're you know going through the process of figuring out what medication is going to help him like buffer that working memory and processing right. speed. Basically to help him while he's developing so that it's not so just exhausting and anxiety provoking yeah. you know, cause he's like, I know, I know how to do this stuff, but then I just can't do it. And I'm like, that must be really frustrating. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. He's fine. And, and he knows he's loved. He knows he's supported. And the way this kid can articulate his feelings and his discomfort and move through it. Like I am so, that's my proudest moment. I always say this, mm-hmm. I don't care about his grades. I don't care about if he goes to college, where he goes to college, like none of that matters to me. That my most important thing is that he feels a sort of self-confidence and that he feels fulfilled in whatever it is that he's doing, whether it's playing soccer, whether it's connecting with a friend, whether it's, you know, drawing, he loves to draw as well. Like those are the things
0: that are important to me and that he feels seen and heard by us. Yeah. Well, you got it. You got it wired because the thing is, I didn't really get this until years into all of this with Nick. Until recently, really. You know, when all my kids were adults. And it's what do we all say as parents, as mothers? I just want my kid to be a decent human being and to be content. Yeah. We say that, and then what we really want is for them to go to Harvard and become a lawyer (laughs) and make a lot of money. But... That sounds but, awful to me. Well, whatever. <laughs> but, but to yes, be a famous yes, artist, idea. to be a ballerina. Sure, what well, sure, you know sure, what I mean? Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I I never really thought any of my kids were heading yeah. to Harvard. But um so that but if if it that's true, contentedness and a good person. Nick is, without a doubt, one of the most intrinsically good people I have ever known. And I say that. Because in light of this disease, which manifests itself quite often, predominantly, as ugly and dark, and it has violence, and it has self-hatred, and it has so many horrible aspects to it, his schizophrenia, other than when he's tormented and then he will sometimes, he'll punch walls and punch a hole in a wall or something like that, he wouldn't hurt a fly. Mm. He is still one of the most intrinsically good humans that walks this planet. So even in light of this disease that has ugliness and, and, and really evil to it, I believe there's evil in this disease because it's horrible things that I've seen. You see the people on the street, that kind of anguish, that kind of screaming, that, that doesn't come from something that isn't tormenting them.
1: You mean, like, homeless vagrants that are... That have clearly have schizophrenia, yeah. yeah.
0: But not only that, he is actually pretty content. And when he's not content, then we try and fix that. And so that's, again, he came in with it. That's, again, coming to terms with this is his life. And if he's happy drawing with his caregiver, who he always fixed the young pretty ones, in the Hello Kitty coloring book with colored pencils... That has to be good enough for me. Yes. Even though he painted that when he was 16. Yeah. Even though he was gonna be in museums. It has to be good enough for me. And yeah. it is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I have my dark moments, but it is. Yeah. That's so awesome.
1: All right, I'm gonna to get to these questions. Okay. I have loved talking with you. That Just me too. loved it every minute. What do you think
0: about Mimi when you hear the word love? I what come right? To my mind, it's so stupid and corny, but just being a mother, I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm a really, you know, I sound like I'm like a 1950s housewife the way I'm talking. But (laughs) i And, you know, I'm a badass. I worked in construction for 30 years. I ran a business. I had eight guys working for me. You know, I'm not a housewife. But at the same time, when it gets right down to it, the best and most important thing that I do in my life is bring children into the world and be their mother. Mm. It just is. Mm. Even even more than the art, sure. actually. Mm.
1: If you could live anywhere in the world other than where you're living now, where would you live?
0: If I could really live anywhere right now, I think I would like to live the summers in Martha's Vineyard and the winters in Manhattan. Oh,
1: yes. I Where are you from originally? Here. Oh, that's right. Born yeah. and raised in LA. Born and raised in that's LA. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I love that. Martha's Vineyard is one of
0: my favorite places on Earth. Me too. I, you know, I went there every summer for years because oh. I have a very dear friend who lives, who has a house there, and I would go visit her, and I fell in. I used to go with the girls, and yeah, it's it's. There's something magical about that place. Literally magical. I brought my
1: son when I was two. We stayed with my dear friend Marcy and her family, and we were there for two weeks, I think. And I was like, what is this place where no one locks their door? Like the kids have this fun circus thing every Friday night. Mm. Like kids, you just, it's free. It's just, there's, it's 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 got a very artistry. Oh my God, I loved it.
0: I mean, I know it's all people of great means. Of course. There's no way I could afford to live there, but but it, just the, but, but, the landscape and itself. you know what there's also a whole community of people who live there who are not the summer people but just exactly. regular people like us too yes. so there is that yes how do you define serenity well do you mean like what what is serenity for, for you? me yeah my happy place my yeah. happy place is sitting on a beach mm. that's it i mm. mean i i am in love with the beach mm. do you have time
1: to go when you're here
0: i go Every chance I get, I was yeah. there two days ago yeah. with my boogie board and my bikini looking ridiculous. Yes. Because it's just, that's it for me. It's just the beach.
1: Wait, why do you say you look ridiculous? You look badass. I haven't even well, seen yeah, it. Yeah, but person. I'm a little but
0: old to be running around in a bikini, but no I don't old. care. There's never <laughs> too
1: old for a bikini, ever, in my opinion. Okay, lightning round of questions. Okay. Fireside or Oceanside? Oceanside. Favorite junk food? Chips.
0: What kind of chips? Any kind of chips. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like chips. Uh, do you like theme parks? No, I hate theme parks. <laughs> well, I just said to somebody yesterday, it's so funny. I just said to my friend yesterday, one of the happiest things in my life is I never have to go to Disneyland again. Oh, yeah. I'll die without ever going there I again. I know. Yeah, I don't have to ever go. They're all grown up. Shower or bathtub? I've been shower girl my whole life. It's funny you should bring this up because my husband and I are locked in this thing right now where he's supposed to be building me. We don't have a bathtub up there. And now I've decided I want a bath and I love taking baths. And so he needs to finish building me my bathroom. Yes. So I would say bathtub now. Yes,
1: he does. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at making lasagna?
0: Oh, tan. (gasps) Oh. Really? I can cook. I don't have any false modesty about that. My mom taught me how to cook. Actually, it's funny you asked that question too because this week my daughter Lucy texted me, can you send me your lasagna recipe again, which I keep on my computer because all the girls keep wanting my recipes. And so (laughs) I've written them down and then they lose them and I send them again. That's adorable. So it's definitely a 10. Yum. What's your biggest pet peeve? I think um, (sighs) – It's really my bad. I really have a problem with chronically negative attitudes, people who are just negative all the time. I'm kind of a Pollyanna. And my real pet peeve is when you go in a store and you ask somebody who works in the store a question about what's in the store and they clearly like, where is something or what something's (laughs) good, and they clearly don't know and they just make something up. (laughs) And I'm the the really obnoxious woman who they'll go, oh, we don't have that. And then when I find it, I will find that salesperson and say, look, you do have this. I love it. Oh, my
1: God. Superpower choice. Invisibility, ability to fly. Fly,
0: definitely. You don't have to go any further. Got it.
1: (laughs) Would you rather have a cat tail or cat ears?
0: I think cat ears. And a
1: What was the name of your first pet?
0: Marco Polo. He was a dog, a Dalmatian. What was the name of the street you grew up on? Longwood. So your porn name. Right. Is I know this.
1: Marco Polo Longwood. Ah. That,
0: that's definitely a man's porn name, though, isn't it really? <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good yeah, one. That's a good one. <laughs> Mimi, I love you so much. Thank you so much for coming oh, on the well, show. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks so much for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mimi. Please join me next week for a fresh episode of MILF podcast. And remember to check out MightyGirls.com and Fluid.us. And both of those are giving us generously giving us 20% off with the code MILF20. Have a great week and weekend, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.